Grace, mercy, and peace are yours. From God our Father, from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen. Today, as we finish up the sermon series on Easter triumph and Easter joy, we'll talk about the hope that is ours. Peter demonstrates that we can be optimistic, that we can look ahead with joy to what is coming because through Jesus' resurrection, we know that we too will rise. I want to talk just a little bit about that word hope to start the sermon today because the way we use the word hope in English really isn't the same as the way the Bible words originally were meant. I suppose basically what's happened is something that used to be sure and certain has been reduced really more to a mere wish. I think you know and understand how we use the word hope, right? You might say something like this, I hope it doesn't snow anymore this spring. Or, I hope my final exam in that class is a lot easier than I think it's going to be. Right? We aren't in control of any of those things. We don't know exactly what's going to happen. We're simply expressing a desire. I suppose we could say, I hope the Wisconsin Badgers win the Rose Bowl this year. None of those things are certain or sure. But when the Bible uses the word hope, it's never iffy. It's never left up to chance or circumstance. It is always certain. It's always solid. It's always sure. Maybe that's why Peter uses the word living as he connects it to hope in our sermon text for today. As we take a look at Peter's words today, that's exactly what Peter wants us to focus on. That kind of certainty. We have a sure hope. We have hope. We have hope even in the midst of our tough times, Peter will tell us. And then we have hope because we know where we're going, because of our goal. Listen again to the first couple verses of 1 Peter chapter 3. I should maybe point out that in the original Greek, the entire text from chapter 1 verse 3 to chapter uh, 1 verse 9 is one sentence. It was more common for Greek people to write that way. I don't recommend that for your English classes today to write a nine-verse run-on sentence. But that's exactly what Peter does. We'll split it up to understand it a little bit better. Here's what Peter says in the first couple verses as he sounds this note of optimism. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Peter is writing these words to Christians who are experiencing some trials, some difficult times in their lives. They're actually suffering persecution for their faith at the hands of the enemies of God. Can you imagine what that did for them? Can you imagine their thoughts? How? How can we hold on to the promises of God when, those, when the faith in those very promises of God is what's causing all of our troubles? Peter reminds them that God has not forgotten them, but that he's given them something precious, something special. He tells them that they have a new birth, a regeneration into a living hope. I want you to think just for a moment about that living hope. What would be the opposite of a living hope? Wouldn't it be a dead hope? And if it's a dead hope, isn't that another way of saying it's really no hope at all? But our hope is living. 
It's living because Jesus lives. That's what Peter connects our hope to. It connects us, he says, to an inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade. It's the resurrection of Jesus which is the bedrock of our faith. It's the foundation for everything that we believe. And it's not temporary. It's not a wish. It's not hoping that the weather won't change or that our favorite team will win some kind of tournament. No, it's certain. It's sure. It will never perish, spoil, or fade, this inheritance, the Apostle Peter tells us. Think about that for a minute. Think about all of the things in your life that bring you joy. How long will they last? Weeks? Months? Years, maybe? But will any of them last forever outside of the hope that we have in our faith in Jesus? We know the answer is no, they won't. And yet, because God gives us a hope that brings an inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade, we can count on those blessings. We can count on that hope forever as we look ahead to the joy of heaven. We can count on it even in the midst of the difficult times that we go through in this life. Listen to Peter explain that to those to whom he writes. Who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. We don't have the final result of the hope to which we look forward. We're waiting. We're waiting for that day when we will experience in full the inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade. But while we wait, did you hear Peter's words? We're shielded. We're shielded by God's power. Isn't that a comforting thought? Now notice that Peter doesn't say that that means we will never suffer. As a matter of fact, he tells us the exact opposite. Picking up on something the Apostle Paul and Barnabas spoke through in the book of Acts through the author Luke when they said we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Maybe you latched on to a couple of words that Peter spoke though. Maybe you noticed that Peter said that that suffering that the people to whom he was writing were going through would be for a little while. Those are comforting words too, aren't they? As we're shielded by God's power, even the things that we go through in this life will only last a little while. Oh, and maybe that might be years, maybe a lifetime. But in comparison to eternity, it is only a little while. They can't last. They won't last forever. Because we have an inheritance, an eternal life to which we look forward to where there is no more death or crying or mourning or pain, where all tears have been wiped away. That's why Peter explains what those trials accomplish. He calls them a refining fire for our faith. Do you see the picture? That as we go through the difficulties of this life, it's the fire of our troubles. It's the heat of our pain that focuses us on what's truly important. When I'm left with no answers for my own life, I have one place left to turn 
And that's to the one who alone can give me hope. The Savior who left his tomb empty. It gives me focus. It gives me purpose in this life. Maybe we can stop for a second here and ask ourselves the question, how do we know? How do we know that God is working even through the difficulties in our lives? Well, let's talk about what God promises. And maybe the best thing to do is to start with what God doesn't promise. I have yet to find a verse in Scripture that tells me that when I believe in Jesus, when I have faith in Jesus, all the troubles and trials and problems of this life will just fly away. Everything will be great. It'll be rainbows and unicorns every single day. Nothing bad will ever happen to me, right? And if you found a verse like that, let me know after the service, right? It's not there, is it? The Bible doesn't say that. But what the Bible does promise, what God does promise, is that while we go through those troubles, he's right by our side. He knows exactly what we're going through. God promises that he is working through those trials for our good. It was the Apostle Paul who wrote that God will rescue us from every evil attack and bring us safely into his heavenly kingdom. God even promises that there's good waiting at the end of those sufferings. There's good waiting at the end of our trials. There's something better than this life and that's our life with him forever in heaven. It's all guaranteed because Jesus rose from the dead. You might recognize the two people on the screen. On the left is Martin Luther. On the right is a painting of his wife, Katie. One of the more, I suppose, well-circulated stories that involves Luther and Katie, his wife, uh, goes like this. Apparently, uh, Katie needed to teach Luther a little bit of a lesson about hope. Because Luther, you might know if you've done any reading about Martin Luther, that he suffered from bouts of sadness, possibly even depression. And so there were times in his life where he would go through some really dark times, mope around the house, be depressed, moody, maybe even a little bit angry and frustrated. And it was during one of those times that Katie decided she was going to come down the stairs wearing black. She put her nicest black dress on, put the black hat with a veil on it. And of course, when Luther saw her, he said, Who died? And she looked at him and said, God. God is dead. Luther said, Dear Katie, God is not dead. And her answer came pretty quickly. Well, by the way, you've been moping around the house and acting. I thought, certainly, God must have died. She taught him a pretty important lesson, didn't she? That because Jesus lives, because God is not dead, we know that whatever frustration, whatever hopelessness we feel in this life, whatever trials we go through, whenever we feel like God doesn't know what's happening, we need simply to look at the cross of Jesus and his empty tomb to be reminded that victory is already ours. That the Easter triumph that Jesus proclaimed by leaving that tomb empty is our triumph and our joy because God is not dead. Jesus lives and that is our hope. The Apostle Paul or Apostle Peter winds up the text by saying this in verses 8 and 9. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Did you catch those first words? Doesn't that sound like a definition of hope? Though we don't 
see him or have not seen him, we love him. Even though we don't see him now, we believe in him and are filled with joy because we know. We know what Jesus has accomplished. We know that he took on himself the curse of all sin, your sin, mine, the sins of the world, and he took that curse to the cross where he suffered in full for those sins. They're paid. And because Jesus left his tomb empty, that's God's stamp of approval on Jesus' saving work. That's how Peter can write that we are receiving the goal of our faith, the end result, the salvation of our souls. It's because Jesus lives. God did not let his Holy One see decay. You see how that hope is rooted in something solid? It's not about our feelings. You know how feelings work, right? One minute I can be happy and the next minute that something can happen that makes me sad, our feelings can turn on a dime. And hope is not a wish. It's not a desire. It's not wanting something to happen Hope is knowing for certain what God has already accomplished. And it's solidified in the fact that Jesus left his tomb. That he lives, and because he lives, so will we. Jesus' resurrection from the dead has secured a future for you and for me forever with him in heaven. That's how God could say these words through the prophet Jeremiah. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. That's your hope and mine. The future life that we have with our Lord forever in heaven. Some takeaways from our sermon today. Number one, while God doesn't promise a life free from suffering, he gives us hope when life is hard. Yes, that is the anchor for our soul, the hope of knowing that something so much better is yet to come. Number two, our hope isn't based on feelings, but rooted in the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. When those difficulties come, when you wonder if God really cares, look no further than Jesus' tomb. And remember that because he lives, you will too. That's number three. We look ahead to an eternal future in the perfect joy, the perfect joy of heaven. That's our Easter triumph and our Easter joy. I want to thank the congregation and thank Pastor Wilsman for filling in for me last week. Uh, that picture on the screen is actually the view from my balcony in Perdido Key last week in Florida. Yes, it was wonderful to listen to the waves roll in and uh, the surf crash and slept well. It was great. God is really good. But you know what? I realized something when I was on vacation last week. Being on vacation is an awful lot like living life in this world. You see, we know it's not going to last forever, right? And yes, there are some great things that happen on vacation. There's some wonderful times, some great blessings to enjoy. But you know what? Every once in a while on vacation, things don't go quite how you have planned. Maybe the weather changes your plans or other things happen. That's a lot like life too, isn't it? And here's what happened last week. As the week got closer and closer to the end, I looked more and more forward to being home. Back home in familiar surroundings, with familiar people, in my own bed, right? That's how we feel in this life too. We know that there's something better still to come. And we can enjoy life in this world while we recognize that it's only a temporary stop. It's only a short time as we look ahead to the eternity that's waiting for us. And yes, it's Jesus. 
It's Jesus and his resurrection that are the anchor for our soul, our hope in the midst of whatever we go through. Peter reminds us to rejoice because in Jesus and his resurrection, we have hope. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding will guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.